Today's reading will be taken from Isaiah 25, verses 1 to 12, and that can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 708. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled under him, as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will spread out their hands in it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. God will bring down their pride, despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust. Amen. We are continuing in our series looking at parables of Jesus from Luke's Gospel. And so will you turn with me to Luke chapter 14. You can find that on page 1047 in your pew Bibles. Page 1047. Luke chapter 14. We're going to be focusing on the parable at the end of the reading, but we're going to begin with verse 1. So let's hear God's word. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. And then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just brought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have been ordered, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray as we come to consider it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for every word that proceeds from your mouth. We thank you that your words are like refined gold and that they are sweeter than honey and that they are like a purifying fire. Lord, we pray that they might do their work among us and in us and through us today. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen. Well, we are focusing, uh, as I say, on this final longest parable, verses uh, 16 to 24. Uh, But I wanted us to see the context, because the Lord is telling a story about a dinner party that goes wrong, in the context of a dinner party that goes badly wrong. It's one of those awful social occasions. Uh, It's not about enjoying each other's company. It's about competing to impress each other. Uh, Everyone's on the lookout for anyone who happens to say the wrong thing. 
And the only people who are welcome at this party are the people who are going to join in the sort of mutual back-scratching club that this party involves. Someone with a bodily swelling comes in, looking for help, and nobody lifts a finger, apart from the Lord Jesus, who heals him, and then starts a theological debate about whether that was a good idea or not. Pretty awkward. Well, it gets worse, because that seems to uh, mean that the Lord then decides to take this party by the scruff of the neck, and he starts to criticise the guests. He says, don't compete for the best places at the meal. Don't kind of spend all your time trying to get to the top of the greasy pole. Humble yourselves, and then perhaps you'll be exalted. If that wasn't bad enough, the Lord then starts to criticise the host. He says, when you put on a banquet like this, don't invite all your mates. Invite the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. Be a generous host. Well, you can imagine the atmosphere, I guess, at this dinner party, can't you? Well, some boat spark decides to pipe up. Have a look at verse 15. One of those at the table uh, with Jesus heard this, and he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't think this is just a sort of pious platitude to kind of smooth things over. I think this is, this is more of a kind of, I'm not really listening to you, mate. I think, I think we're sorted, thanks. You can criticise our hospitality if you want, but at least I'm going to heaven, matey. At least I'm pure enough to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus tells this parable. And I've got two words this morning that I think sum up what this parable is all about. And the first one is that it's disruptive. Jesus tells this parable because he wants to disrupt this silly little party with the silly little people with their poisonous, back-slapping ideas of religion. And this is a story that isn't just relevant for these Pharisees in that room on that Sabbath day. This is a story that actually tells us what God is doing in our world today. And it comes in four parts, and we're going to work through them this morning. In Life Builders, I'll say, we're going to spend a little bit more time thinking about the, the hospitality angle and what uh, Jesus criticising the Pharisees' hospitality has to say to our hospitality. So we'll, we'll do a bit of that as well as having some Q&A. But we're going to focus on what this has to say about our relationship with God. And it comes in four parts. Part one, God is inviting this world to a feast. Jesus is telling a story of a man who wants to put on a great dinner party. And now the custom in those days was that what you did was you, you first of all sent out the invitations and people RSVP'd. And then depending on how many people were coming, you would then kill the appropriately sized animal and you'd cook the food. And then when it was all ready, you would send out the message uh, to invite people over. And that's what's happening in verse 17. At the time of the banquet, the man sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, this is a parable, which we're looking at over the, the last while. I, I quite like the definition that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's, it's an ordinary story put in ordinary terms, meant to be easy for us to understand, so that we can grasp something extraordinary about God and his ways among us. So we need to do a little bit of joining the dots, but hopefully it's fairly obvious. Who's the man who puts on a feast? It's God. Scripture tells us over and over again that this world is God's house. 
God made this world so that we could live with him. It's wonderful. And yet, this world, it's, it's not like we're all just sitting eating cereal day after day after day. This house is in the process of getting ready for a party. Earlier on, we heard in our Old Testament reading the prophet Isaiah declaring, on this mountain, and he's speaking of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. So here is the most lavish, most delightful, most magical party you could ever hope to attend. And this is the image that our Lord is picking up in this parable. He says, yeah, God is inviting the world to a feast. Many of us will have enjoyed watching the royal wedding, or at least the part of it that we were able to see, because there was so much we couldn't see, wasn't there? Uh, So much that the cameras weren't invited to. You would need to have an invitation yourself. And can you imagine how amazing the food and the lights and the clothes and the music must have been that evening? Maybe we're all a little bit disappointed that we didn't get invited to that part of the wedding. Perhaps you feel disappointed this morning that it seems like God has perhaps shut you out of the best in life. Perhaps you, perhaps you even think of God as a killjoy. Well, if that's you, can I encourage you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say? If you think of God as a killjoy, you're actually disrespecting everything God has told you about himself. God is the infinitely happy God, Scripture tells us. He's pure joy, and he wants to share his joy. God is the maker of heaven and earth and all the joy that is in them. He's not a killjoy. He's the joy maker. And he intends us for more joy. He intends us for the joy of a banquet with him. But of course, long ago, we turned away from that joy that he set before us. We turned to our own earthly joys, shadow joys, imitation joys. And so in his mercy, God entered into a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, inviting them to look forward to the coming of a priest king, somebody who could take away their sins and pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit. The parable tells us that the man invited many guests. And these guests had to wait until the Son of God came to journey towards Jerusalem and there to die on that hill like a sacrificial animal and then to ascend to the Father's right hand as our risen priest and king. Only then could the invitation go out. The message of repentance and forgiveness of sins beginning at Jerusalem and going out to all nations. So listen to God's servant. He says to us, come, for everything is now ready. God is inviting you to a feast. So second then, how will the world respond? Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. 
Well, I think it's important to see that these excuses aren't totally ridiculous. In the culture of the time, uh, seeing a field and buying a, a large amount of oxen, uh, five yoke, that's quite a lot, that was actually an essential part of the purchasing process. So imagine you're in the position to buy an expensive yacht, one of those ones that's so expensive that it actually costs quite a lot to move it around. If you're going to buy that yacht, you probably have to give the money up front before you can get it to where you live and test it all out. But the purchase isn't going to be complete until you finally tested the yacht and you say, OK, yes, I'm happy, and the purchase is all finished. Something like that seems to be uh, how purchases of land and large numbers of oxen were conducted in Jesus' time. So these excuses aren't totally ridiculous. They, they did have to kind of see the land and test out the oxen before they were purchased. But surely they could have waited, couldn't they? And the, the, the fellow who's married his, his wife, well, I'm sure we can all understand that. If you've just got married uh, to your new spouse, I'm sure a night at home probably is fairly attractive. They, these excuses are perfectly lawful, good things to be doing. But surely they could have waited till after the party. Um, this afternoon, we've been kindly invited around uh, somewhere uh, for lunch, somebody in the congregation. Uh, so imagine me sitting there in my host's living room, uh, waiting for lunch to be served. And the moment my host comes in, I say, oh, sorry, I'm actually bidding on something on eBay at the moment. Um, do you mind if you just put it in a Tupperware for me? And yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Well, no amount of politeness or apologies could ever cover up that that would just be incredibly rude, wouldn't it? I wouldn't expect to be invited back there ever again. I'd always be spitting in, in my host's face. That's what people are doing to God all the time. Uh, earlier, this week, earlier this year, a, a mission week was held in a town uh, in Northern Ireland, and over the week, about 30 people expressed uh, an interest in coming to a follow-up course uh, to find out more about the Christian faith. Reasonable going, you might say. Guess how many people showed up? Not one of them. Now, I'm sure if you went around to those 30 people and asked them why they hadn't come, when they seemed to be interested. I'm sure they'd have all had fairly reasonable excuses, right? And maybe some of them were actually urgent excuses that really just couldn't wait. But that's the thing, isn't it? We always have better things to do. The worldly always have better things to do. The former Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, uh, wrote this. Adultery and immorality no doubt slay their thousands, but decent, plausible, smooth-spoken excuses slay their tens of thousands. I've just got married, so I cannot come. I'm busy with providing for my family. My career's in a bit of a tricky place at the moment. Ah, oh, I'd love to, but I'm actually going to be up at the North Coast most of the summer. My dad needs a lot of help these days, sorry. Good, good, good things. Created joys, many of them. Important responsibilities, many of them. But friends, there's more to life. And yet the worldly always seem to have better things to do. So this is the story, I think, of our moment in history. Firstly, God is inviting the world to a feast... But secondly, worldly people make excuses. But thirdly, God will fill his house 
with the lost. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I wonder, what what do you make of that response? I think it exposes, doesn't it, the, the motives of this householder who's putting on this feast. He gets angry when people show up. But listen very carefully, because he is not getting angry because he somehow lost the respect that he was hoping to get when these wealthy people didn't show up. No, 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 it can't be. Because look at who he invites next. He invites the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. Look across to verse 13. Jesus makes it very clear. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. This householder is not interested in getting respect from people. He just wants people to enjoy his feast. That's why he's angry. Because people are turning away from the most magnificent banquet. He can't believe it. He insists that people must share his joy. And so he invites the disabled, the handicapped, the beggars, the homeless. He doesn't care who comes. But he will fill his house. Now you might say, but hang on, why does it take this homeowner so long to invite the poor people? Why didn't he start with them? Well, we need to think about the situation that Jesus told this story into. He's telling it to a group of Pharisees, the religious elite. They're like the first group. They're the guests who have got excuses. They're so caught up in their wealth and in their social status that that although they are religious, although they, in some ways, humanly speaking, are closer to God, actually when the invitation comes, when the Son of God comes into the world, they're actually not interested. Their love of God is actually only skin deep. They don't really care about God's law the way they claim. You can tell that because when Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath and says this is lawful, they hate it. They're much more interested in money and in status. And so they make excuses. And so the man turns to the second group. And that represents Jesus turning to the outcasts of Israel. People uh, like the tax collectors and the sinners. People like Zacchaeus, who we're going to be hearing about tonight. People who, humanly speaking, are further from God. People you would never imagine being in heaven. And yet God says... These people are going to fill my house. And the servant seems to catch the vision. These people come in, these outcasts in Israel, and and the servant says to his master, Master, there's still room. And so look at verse 23. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. So we've got a third group now, and I wonder if you can work out who these people represent. They're us. It's the nations, the Gentiles, the sort of uh, country people, the barbarians who haven't been civilized by God's word when Jesus was telling this story. We get invited too. 
We're going to be dragged in from the country to come and join the feast with God's covenant people from years past. Do you get the point? This party is not going to be stopped. God will fill his house with the lost. Now, imagine you got an invitation to attend the royal wedding. And I don't mean just to stand outside. Uh, I don't even mean to be in the nave with, uh, you know, the sort of B-list celebs like the Beckhams and the and Elton John. I mean to actually be in the choir with the royal family and even with the Clooney's. Imagine you got that invitation. You'd open it up and you think, surely there must have been some mistake. This isn't, I'm not actually meant to be here. Well, maybe you're feeling like that this morning as you hear this invitation coming to you. Maybe you think, surely there must be some mistake. This isn't for me. Well, actually, I think if that's you, if that's how you're responding this morning, that's a really healthy sign. Look at verse 23 again. The master seems to expect some resistance. He, he, he tells the servant to make them come in. The servant's almost going to have to drag these people in. Some translations traditionally sort of say compel them to come in. I have to tell you, these words have actually been used to justify some pretty horrible things, like the Spanish Inquisition. And if you want to find out more about that and why that's not right, come to Life Builders and ask me a question about it. It's wrong, but you can see how they get there, can't you? It's not enough for this servant to just go out and sort of make a casual invitation anymore. The master says, make them come in. They're going to need persuaded because these country people aren't going to ever believe that they're going to be welcome at this feast. So make them, persuade them to come in. This invitation is going to be taken up. God will fill his house. Now, there's a classic um, distinction that I think helps us to understand what's going on here. The Bible speaks of uh, God's invitation coming to us in two separate ways, or two distinct ways that actually come together. So firstly, you've got something called the general call. Uh, This is the invitation that all of us have heard here this morning. Come, for everything is ready. God makes a sincere offer to all people. Come, come and enjoy the party. Now, some people will refuse it, but it's made to everyone. But then secondly, there's, there's another kind of call called the effectual call. That just means it's effective. It means it's, it works. And the reason it works is because the Holy Spirit takes the general call and makes it persuasive to our hard hearts. Sometimes people will tell you when that call comes into their hearts, it can feel like they're almost being dragged into the kingdom. I was speaking to a lady just a few weeks ago who who said that was what her experience was like. She had a a weekend uh, away from her family reading the Bible, and she just couldn't help but be taken along with it. Other people will have more of an experience of perhaps just waking up one morning and finally deciding to follow Jesus. But either way, the Holy Spirit has made that happen. The Holy Spirit makes the, the general call effective so that God will bring the people that he chooses to his feast. God will fill his house. He will fill his house with the lost. So if you're someone who feels like it would take something supernatural to make you believe that you could ever be welcome in God's house, well, that's actually a good sign that God's been working in your life, humbling you, giving you a taste 
for something more. So will you believe me as I stand here this morning? I've got the tough job of trying to preach God's word. You are invited to come and feast in God's kingdom. God wants you there. Come. Don't let anything rule you out. Because this invitation is for all the people that we normally rule out. It's for all the people who have committed adultery, all the people who are queer. It's for all the people who look at porn. It's for all the people who are victims of domestic abuse and all the domestic abusers. It's for all the people who are racist. It's for all the people who have transitioned. It's for all the people who feel suicidal. It's for all the people who have had abortions or voted for people to have abortions. It's for all of us. And maybe this is a good time to mention uh, the second word that I think sums up this parable. This parable is all about grace. Grace that doesn't respect persons. Grace that doesn't care about your past, only about your future. Grace that reaches into our stupidly tangled social jungle and lifts us up to a much better place. This parable is all about disruptive grace. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. Into your presence, you call us. You call us to come. Into your presence, you draw us. And now, by your grace, we come. God made us to share his joy, and he's calling each and every one of us here today to come into his kingdom. God will fill his house with the lost, like me and like you. So come, everything is now ready. And come, please, because fourth and lastly, there's no hope for you if you don't. Verse 24, I tell you, the master says, not one of these men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, there was an expectation in the culture that Jesus was speaking in that even if you couldn't sort of show up to the meal itself, you could at least expect the host to send you out a kind of a, a doggy bag, a, a taster, a sample of what was on the meal. And Jesus is very clear, that is not going to happen in the kingdom of God. There's not going to be a halfway house. Come or don't come. That's the choice that's before us all this morning. There will be no latecomers. So friends, let me urge you, please don't treat what you've heard this morning as just another invitation. We live in a blizzard of invitations and opportunities, don't we? It's so hard to work out which the most important ones are. And I know that those of us who stand up here in the pulpit week by week, we're not very impressive, we're not doing anything spectacular, we're normal flesh and blood human beings, very weak. And I know that this world has got its attractions. But please, listen to the voice of God this morning. Come, or don't. Don't let, please, for the love of God, a decent, 
plausible, smooth-spoken excuse, slay you. Come. Forget about North Korea, Brexit, the Eighth Amendment, or whatever's waiting for you when you leave here. The most important things that are happening in our world are right here in this story that we've read this morning together. The announcement that God has put everything ready for us to come and join his feast. The stupid excuses, the gracious drawing of the lost, and the clarification that one day the fuzziness of history will be resolved into black and white. Come, or don't. But if you want to be on the right side of history, come. You really don't have anything better to do than to come. Come and have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come and join the praise for his glorious grace forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to confess, declare, shout aloud that you are the God of all grace. You're a God who doesn't care about our past, that offers us a wonderful future through the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came, your very own son, eternally born of you. We praise you that he was born in time, born into this fleshly world, born into the mess of our relationships, of our sin, of our suffering. We praise you that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem and there to die, to prepare for us a place in his Father's house. Our Father, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge that we need Jesus. We acknowledge that only by your grace can we come. And so, Father, we thank you for disrupting us this morning, and we pray that you would continue to do so. We thank you for drawing us, and we pray that your grace may be ever more attractive to us. Lord, we want to respond with generous hearts, generous lives, open homes, confidence in your disruptive grace. And so we ask for your transforming power. Lord, remake us, recreate us, renew us. Do it all out of your limitless grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And we pray. Let us thank the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Dear Lord, we thank you that Helen is safely home for a few weeks. Grant her rest, refreshment, and renewal of body, mind, and spirit. Thank you, Lord, 
that some of our members received good news this week. May fears be dispelled, faith strengthened, and hope increased. Thank you that our pastor Frank is celebrating his 60th birthday with his family. Grant him the strength to undertake the tasks you give him, the wisdom to choose the right priorities of time and energy, and your graciousness in all he does to show and share the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us to be encouragers of those who serve us and our families, who lead our congregation and denomination. And we pray for the incoming moderator of the General Assembly, Charles McMillan, and for the elders and ministers attending the assembly in, in all their discussions and decisions. Thank you for the message that Sam has just shared with us. Thank you that the gospel is offered to all people. That the invitation cannot be bought or earned, but can only be received. But the day of opportunity is not forever. We pray for those who decline and make excuses. Perhaps some of us with heads bowed at this moment. Show us the foolishness of doing nothing, which is really doing something, rejecting your wonderful offer of new life by grace. We pray for evangelists, and all who seek to persuade others to come in. And we pray for those we love who need to come to Jesus or to come back to him. And we pray for Ireland after the referendum. O Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, give those in authority, north and south, wisdom and courage as the south frames new laws. New laws we trust with balance and moderation. May the needs of the vulnerable and disabled never be forgotten. And may unpopular issues like a more mature and healthier attitude to sex be promoted among the young 
and the not so young. And help your people in all their interactions to show and explain with grace and humility the wonderful, fulfilling life that Jesus gives. In his name we pray.